0: If you were here last week, you know that I'm asking you to get comfortable with something that could potentially be very uncomfortable for you. And that is your identity as a saint in Jesus Christ. So, Just like Paul starts his letter to the church in Ephesus and really almost all of his letters to the saints, I encourage you right now to greet one another as saints. Go ahead, say to your neighbor there, hello, Saint Richard, hello, Saint Kelly, hello, Saint Chase, hello, Saint Wendy, hello. I know it seems so. And and by the way, Saint George, Saint George the dragon slayer. I mean, this is why I am so into it because I obviously have like the coolest saint name, the patron saint of England. Uh, we are living into this identity as the saints in. Jesus Christ. Yeah, maybe when we put that on, it doesn't feel quite right at first. I had us do that little exercise last week where we wrote sinner with our dominant hand because we are kind of born. The dominant trait, the dominant push in life is towards sin and separation from God. Tragically, but wonderfully, gloriously, we become saints through the work of Jesus Christ. So that's our new identity. I kind of had to try to work on writing that. So just keep that image in mind, keep living into that as we live into now the union and unity that we have in Jesus Christ. Before we get into our scripture reading here in just a moment, let me just again set the stage of what Paul will be unpacking for us and what we will be diving into the next several weeks. It's really all about union and unity. Paul is writing this love letter to the church in Ephesus. There's no crisis. There's no uh, uh, division. There's no difficult thing going on, except in his own life. He's in prison. He's the one going through the crisis. He may not have another opportunity to ever see them again. So he takes this as an opportunity to write them, to encourage them, to inspire them yet again. And he just dives deep into our union in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. How many? Every spiritual blessing. I mean, if if it's a blessing, it comes to us through Jesus Christ, it is all presently available to the believer in Jesus Christ. But then the mysterious union that we have with Christ, it does something more. When I put my life in Jesus Christ, and when you put your life in Jesus Christ, two very different people come together in unity in Jesus Christ. I had a wonderful conversation this week. Thank you, Joy. It kind of gave me permission to say some things that I've been thinking and feeling and that a lot of us have been seeing around here. Last week I pointed to the wonderful union that a guy like Chris and I can have in Jesus Christ. Uh, We don't even speak the same language and not even from the same country, very different backgrounds, and yet together we become brothers in Christ Jesus. Uh, We celebrated recently bringing Ruth Folkerts on staff here, uh, uh, born to uh, Chinese parents, raised in Indonesia, educated in Taiwan. I think English is like her 12th language, and she preaches in English, she's incredible. Uh, And we have uh, folks uh, uh, who immigrated here from Africa, joining us in worship. Now, God is doing some incredible things. Praise God and hallelujah, right? Amen. There is the potential for us to see one another in our differences, through our differences. And we do wanna celebrate that diversity, but it, think it just needs to be said. It needs to be highlighted. It needs to, you know, uh, sometimes we just need to speak things out. And what I think we need to be speaking out here is to say, we need to continue to push towards unity in Jesus Christ because the differences that we have could and very often do tend to drive us apart. We we go towards people that we have similar affinities towards, similar cultural backgrounds, similar languages even, but in Christ and by being intentional in Christ, we can come together and grow in unity. And so I am praying, I'm asking, I'm inviting us to keep building into that unity that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, that said, as we get into our reading for today, it is, going to be, what is it? It is 12 verses in our English language. But I pointed out last week that this is one of the longest sentences that we have in the Bible. All your study Bibles will tell you about that. You'll find some information in that in your own study Bible. But Paul is compelled as he launches into this letter to give this one extended glorious prayer of praise to Jesus. And it is beautifully one big giant uniform outpouring. For us, we break it down and that helps us to understand it. And as we break it down, you're going to hear, let me just say this as we go through our study of the book of Ephesians. If you pay attention, if we're engaged in these messages, if you're reading the book on your own, and if you maybe engage with a group, and I would encourage us all to engage with a group. We have groups that meet in Bible study here on campus. We have some groups that meet in prayer, for example, tonight online in prayer. If you wanna start your own group, whenever I write a message, I then write some questions that hopefully uh, allow people to step into a deeper study and reflection and conversation about the passages. You could start, grab a family or two and, and, and start a group. If we pay attention over the next several weeks, we're going to get kind of a primer on all kinds of ologies. <laughs> all kinds of ologies, you know, and that uh, doesn't sound too exciting sometimes. But if we do the work, we're going to learn some wonderful foundations for theology, for understanding of God and God revealing himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're gonna learn about soteriology. What does that mean? How we're saved, how salvation works out. We're gonna learn ecclesiology, how the church is organized and uh, works together in unity. We're gonna learn all these wonderful primers because Ephesians just covers a whole lot of bases. That said now, setting the stage, let's read 12 verses, one giant thought in the Greek. So try to hold this together in in your own mind here. Praise be to, oh, and as I read this, here's your little game to pay attention. Uh, Count how many times you are going to hear in Christ, in him, in the one. So just we'll, we'll see if we'll see if the math adds up there so that's your that's your little way to pay attention while I read here praise be to the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in christ i'll kind of emphasize it to help you out there in your counting there for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless In his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption with a seal the promised holy spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are god's possession to the praise of his glory how many did you get go ahead and call it out eight, eight so did i all right you got to count <laughs> nice work ah uh, many of us heard the story of David and Goliath in church or now really in culture, it's become so ubiquitous with stories of uh, overcoming the, the giant. Let me just remind you, of course, of the story, David, the shepherd boy, the one anointed to be king. And yet waiting to be coronated as king is sent by his father to deliver some food to his older brothers who are standing on the front lines of battle. David wasn't avoiding the battle. He just was not of age yet to go to war. And yet when he goes to the front lines, he discovers that the army of God, the army of Israel is in a standoff with the army of the Philistines. And they've been there for some time time now. And David says, what is the issue? What's going on? The Philistines had the obvious choice. Goliath, he was the giant among the men, the greatest warrior. There was really no question he would be the guy to represent the Philistines on the battle. You see, that was the idea. Instead of the two battles just running at each other and Everybody killing one another until one army had so many losses, they finally just waved the white flag. They would say, let's just send representatives and whatever they do will reflect the whole army, the whole nation. It was an obvious choice for Israel who should have been up front. It should have been Saul. I mean, he was a giant among men. We we read that he was head and shoulder taller than everybody else. But more than that, he was the king. He was the one to protect the people, to go in front of the people, to lead the people, to work for the blessing and the security and the peace of the people. He was the one, but he was obviously neglecting, shying away from, afraid to fulfill his role and responsibility. Well, David, uh, you gotta love what he says. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? If you want to insult somebody, just throw that one out there. I I mean, there there you go. I mean, what worse could you say? (laughs) He says, I'll be the one. Now, They really didn't have any other options, but whenever they said okay to David, they were extending some faith. They were extending some trust. Sure, they were cowering in fear. I think they were probably just happy to have somebody step forward finally, but it was an exercise of them putting all of their hopes, their dreams, potentially their future into this David, the shepherd boy. Well, we do know, most of us, probably already how the story ends. He takes his sling, he swings it, he sinks that stone into his head, he runs out, he takes Goliath's own sword, he cuts off his head, tell the story to your children tonight at bedtime, it's beautiful, uh, and he wins victory for the people. The point of all that is that this is one of our reminders that David was standing in for representing the people and they really did have their hope put in David, their trust put in David. In many ways you would say their very future was in the hands of David. And now when we tell that story of David and Goliath, what it's pointing us to immediately is that reminder that just as when we tell the story of David, we're really pointing ahead to the story of Jesus that was to come because in Jesus we would put our hope, in Jesus we would put our trust, in Jesus we will put our future because we know that we stand against an army, a spiritual army, an army of darknesses is going to be unpacked for us much later in chapter six, but we stood against a representative of that army, the evil one, the deceiver, the father of lies, Satan, we knew that we could not win victory over him, but we put our trust, our hope, our faith, our very lives in Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul is already pointing us to, the trust, the hope, the fact that every spiritual blessing that we are going to have has already been won for us in the victory of Jesus Christ over sin, and over death. And now the invitation is to us that when we tell our story, we are also then in a sense, telling the story of Jesus. We tell our story as believers, as followers of Christ, we are telling the story of our redemption of our union and every spiritual blessing that we have in and through him when we tell our story. What we're hoping is that we are telling the bigger story of Christ, the bigger story of God, and our place in it. Friends, this is what it means to be living out and living into our union with Christ and our unity in the body of Christ. Just as David represented the people, So Jesus stepped in for us and now in Jesus Christ, just as David won the victory for Israel, Jesus wins the victory for all of us. Paul is beautifully weaving in the work of God's salvation history, the plan for redemption into the story of Jesus, inviting us to step in to be a part of it, and then to be a part of working it out into our glorious adoption and our future in Jesus Christ. Who now, that is what these 12 verses are unpacking for us. To make it a little bit more understandable, let me break it down into some bite-sized pieces, and we're gonna unpack it for just a little bit here this morning. We do have, in a sense, three movements through this one unified thought. We do have this movement where we are invited to step into our destiny, to be adopted as the children of God and to live into this new identity. From that, Paul is going to point us towards this redemption history. He's going to use actually the language of the exodus, the exodus from sin and I'm sorry, from slavery in Israel to our exodus out of captivity to sin and to death. And he's going to drive it home with this promise, this seal, the Holy Spirit abiding in us, marking us for a glorious future. So that's where we're going to go for the next couple minutes. And let's just begin to break it down. So verses three through six. They're going to invite us to step into the fact that we are destined or predestined for adoption into the family of God. Okay, let's get right into it. (laughs) As a pastor, I get the opportunity to have some interesting. Conversations, And I'm sure every profession has its own little intricacies in that way. I'm sure every doctor probably gets, Oh, you're a doctor. Oh, I got this thing on my back. Could you take a look at, you know, that if you're a, a financial advisor, Oh, Hey, what's the next Amazon or the next Apple? Where should I put my money? Oh, you know, if you're a lawyer, Oh, where's your pitchfork? Where are your horns? Oh, so no, every lawyer I've ever known has a very good sense of humor about lawyer jokes. Anyways, if you're a pastor, you get into some of your own unique conversations. Sadly, some of the conversations actually just stop before they actually start. Oh, you're a pastor. Oh, and you know, you kind of sense them backing away as if I'm gonna like squirt them with holy water or throw a Bible at them or something. Uh, So I'm always sad whenever that happens, but others, when they find out you're a pastor, they lean in. And often what will happen is they'll simply say, oh, what kind of pastor, what's your church? And I will say, I'm pastor of Connections Church, Highlands Ranch, you know, any connections, any denominations. And I'll say part of the Christian Reformed Church of North America. And those that are in the know, this happens has happened a number of times. They'll say, oh, Reformed, you must believe in predestination. To which, now I'm going to say this tersely, and I do say this tersely because I want people to engage immediately with the conversation. I will just be very blunt and I'll say, yes, I've read my Bible. (laughs) Have you? (laughs) And some people are deeply offended by that, which I need to then backstep and try and welcome them into it. But the fact of the matter is this. It's not a question of do you or do you not believe in predestination if you call yourself a follower of Christ and you believe in the authority of scripture. The question for us is what do we make of what has been revealed to us? Because the Bible reveals it to us. We cannot read Ephesians chapter one and not hear that we have been predestined for adoption into sonship. We cannot read further and have it reemphasized that we were predestined to be chosen from the foundations before creation itself. You cannot read Romans chapter eight or Titus or other books of the Bible and not encounter what has been revealed to us that God has foreordained or predestined or just established several things. If you go to Romans chapter eight, you'll often hear it called the Golden Thread, where Paul there will tease out this idea of our predestination a little bit, where he'll say, those whom God foreknew, he also predestined, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he has also justified, and those whom he justified, he will also glorify. And so it has been revealed to us that God cannot be God, cannot God cannot be omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful. God cannot be God and cannot be sovereign without foreknowing or determining certain things. So again, the question isn't, is it there? Is it a part of what has been revealed to us? It is what are we going to make of it? And what we make of it is this, will we make it something that brings us peace And comfort or will we make of it something that causes us anxiety and stress and confusion and to keep us up at night wondering how it all works out in the economy of God and maybe some of us should spend some late nights pondering and meditating upon these things. But I want to drive it home uh, because you could, if you open up the Pandora's box of this, like you could go, you know, for days, for weeks, for whole courses of study and volumes. So let me kind of drive it home a bit like this. Paul talks about that movement from God's foreknowledge to his predestination, to his calling, his justification, his glorification. And they often call it the golden thread. What we know, what has been revealed to us, is that there is, in fact, then no tension for God in this revelation. That somehow he holds that thread and he keeps it in a sense, we'll say, perfectly tuned between his sovereign will and what will be done, what he has decided to do, and our free will. And so our work is to simply not pull too hard on either side, but seek to live in tune with that thread of what has been revealed to us. Let me just put it in a very personal way. Do you feel like a robot? Do you feel like you have no control over your choices, over your life? Do you feel as if everything in your life has been predetermined, that you can't decide what to eat, what car to buy, uh, what clothes to wear, uh, what words to say, uh, how to spend your money? Do you feel like a robot? I've actually never met anybody who says, I actually feel just like a pre-programmed robot. Let me also ask you this then. Do you feel that you are completely alone in the universe? Do you feel that God has never been there, never spoken to your heart, never given you peace in a time of turmoil, never moved in such a way that you just had to scratch your head and say, was God actually pulling some things together to bring me into that relationship or that conversation or that door to open or that moment in my life? Most people that I talk to, and I don't want to presume all of us are there because we could be at very different places in our journey of faith, but most people do sense that their life is held somewhere between God actively working in our lives and showing up in mysterious ways, and God actually giving us the the opportunity to step into a relationship with Him and to walk with Him and to work with. Him, we seek to live in tune with joy, with confidence, and with a sense of peace that comes from God's invitation that there are some things that I have worked out that you do not have to worry about in your life. And yet I want to invite you to be a part of working it out in faith with me. Now, I realize that that is literally just like the opening paragraph on the discussion of this topic. So let me just point you to what Paul says about it that is so easy and perhaps the most often missed part of this conversation. What does it say before he tells us that we have been predestined for adoption into sonship? What are those two most important words for us? I hope somebody's actually looking your Bible. <laughs> In love. In love, he predestined us for adoption. In love, he is calling us. In love, he is working some things out. In love, he has established some things before the foundation of creation. Everything that God does, God does in love. I don't fully understand how it all works out, but I have this revelation that gives me peace and brings me joy and gives me confidence in my faith that anything and everything that God is doing, God is doing out of God's love because he can do nothing less because God is love and he'll do all things out of that love, out of his love for Abraham. He called him to be a blessing to all the nations, not because Abraham deserved it or had the pedigree or had the education. And we got into some of that last week. In love, he called Isaac. In love, he called Jacob the deceiver. In love, he used Moses as his deliverer. In love, he called David the shepherd boy. And the list goes on and on, but you're getting the point, I hope. God does all of this out of his love for us. So rest assured of his love. Rest assured that he is calling you and working some things out in love in your life. He says before the foundations of creation, He chose us. In love, understand that God in kind of the the pickup game of life (laughs) was saying to each and every one of us, I choose you to be on my team in such a way that I can say he chose me and you can say he chose me. And we we can all kind of come together in this wonderful, glorious, uplifting of praise to say he chose me. He called me. He predestined me. And that moves us towards something even well, I don't know if I should say even more, but it moves further. It says he, in love, he predestined us. He chose us from the foundations of creation for adoption into sonship, adoption into the family of God. Oh, there's so much we could say about this revelation of adoption that we have in Jesus Christ. But what we know is that all of us who have ever felt orphaned, abandoned alone in this world are being invited into adoption into the family of god this will be the primary metaphor that paul will use throughout the rest of ephesians that we have been adopted into the family of god he's going to call it a holy dwelling a temple he's going to lay it out for us like an uh, again a battle experience a spiritual battle of our lives and we're suiting up But over and over again, he'll return to our adoption into the family of God. But there's something I want to highlight here. Let me be a theological nerd for just a moment. Because it's going to be in all of your Bibles. And some of you will pick this up and you'll you'll want to have some insight for it. And there's a lot more that could be said about it, of course. But he specifically says here, adoption into sonship. And most of the translations will honor that revelation that we are adopted into sonship through Jesus Christ. Now, in our modern ears and our modern sensibilities, we would want that to say adoption into the family of God or sonship or daughtership. We would want to honor and reflect God's image bears and his calling on all of his children, men and women alike, except that understanding contextually and culturally what it meant to be called into sonship. Right now in Afghanistan, we are praying for, or I guess I would say, I hope we are praying for the nation of Afghanistan. And what is particularly troubling for us is recognizing what might be unfolding for the women in Afghanistan. I think I can kind of like cut to the point and drive it home and allow you to reflect upon it more in your own time. If you were to go to any of those women right now in Afghanistan and say, guess what? You will be given all the rights of sonship. You know what that would mean for them. It would mean they would no longer have to live in fear. They would no longer be barred from education or freedom or opportunity. If they were given the rights of sonship, they would be given all of the rights that all humanity deserves. That is simply the recognition that when Paul says sonship, what he's saying to all the children of God, sons and daughters alike, is that you get the rights, you get all of the rights, you get all of the opportunity, you get all of the blessings, you get it all in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? It's a a touchy, topical conversation, but that is part of the joys, what has been revealed for us that all of us, have been invited to have all of the spiritual blessings available to us through Jesus Christ. This is the beauty of what has been revealed for us. Then Paul moves on in verses seven through 10 then, he brings us into now the language of the Exodus, the redemption story. He says, you have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ or purchased by the shedding of blood of Jesus Christ. What he is beautifully doing here is again, telling part of the story of the past, living it into the present and showing where it will go in future times that we have been redeemed, purchased. He is speaking to the issue of slavery and that the people had a season in life where they were literally held in captivity in slavery. That was always on the horizon if an army or an invading nation would come in and throw them again into that slavery. And anybody who was in slavery was purchased, was property, they did not belong to themselves, they belonged to another. And beautifully what has been revealed for us is now we belong to Jesus not as a slave master, not as an owner, but as a Lord, as a savior, as a brother, as a part of the family of God, we have been redeemed, purchased, and brought into through adoption, the blessings of the household, all the spiritual blessings of the household of God, It is a beautiful thing that Paul is doing here for the people showing that the redemption story has brought them in through the work of Jesus Christ. But then he goes deeper and he says, not just us, but to those who were formerly outside the people of God. The people of God knew that they were chosen They were selected, they were lifted up out of all of the nations, but for a long time in the history of the people of God, they thought it only applied to them. But Paul is now opening the door to say that this redemption, this purchasing, this being a part of the body of Christ, is now open to all that we thought were formerly outsiders. They too are being brought into this glorious work of God. And then he goes even deeper into verses 11 through 14 where he starts to drive it home now with this idea that we have been sealed and marked by the very Spirit of God. I... uh point out often my, my two rings, you know, my, my ring that I got when I got married to represent my covenant with my wife. And then whenever I graduated from seminary, my wife beautifully and thoughtfully got from me this ring that has a cross on it to mark kind of my covenant with God and to serve him in mission and ministry uh, through serving the church. And it's a beautiful ring and as I, you know, it's got the Celtic cross on there. But I've always thought it would be really cool if like I see in all these old movies, if I get one of those wax sticks and I have a candle like, uh, like on, my, on my desk and every time, yeah, yeah, like every time I like write a note to somebody, what if I just like drip that on there and took my ring and pressed it in there? If anybody ever sees one of those wax sticks, by the way, it's not like I've ever even seen them around. But how cool would that be to like seal and mark that note? That's the image that we have here, that we have been marked. We have been sealed now by the Holy Spirit, saying, you are mine, you belong to me, but you don't belong to me as a slave like property, you belong to me like a son, like a daughter in this family. And then he talks about, this is like a deposit that we have guaranteeing the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, I've talked about it before, but there's really no other way to talk about it. Those of us that are old enough, we remember, Putting things on layaway, putting things on deposit. I I just remember going to Kmart. I just I don't know if Kmart even exists anymore. And, and, and I wanted, you know, if you wanted something, you could start putting the money down for it. You know, I got I got you know five dollars. I got five more dollars. And and you didn't take it home. That's the crazy thing. We know, money on. You know, Amazon has ruined our understanding of waiting or delayed gratification. You know, I'm like, oh, I have to wait till Wednesday. Oh man, you know, like like I am so impatient now but in the old days we had to patiently keep building up that deposit that deposit until we could bring it home that's the beautiful image that we have now this is a deposit that I'm putting on and in your life and I want you to know with this deposit Because the Holy Spirit, I actually was talking to a couple recently that they put down earnest money on a house because the idea of the earnest money is that it's so much that you're not going to forfeit the deal. And they did, and it was brutal, and they lost thousands of dollars. They're like, I will never make that mistake again. I was like, yeah, don't. I mean, holy, that was a very costly mistake. The idea, of course, here is saying, you are so precious, and this gift of the Spirit is so precious that I will not forfeit. I would never imagine forfeiting what I have promised to do in and through your life by giving you now the deposit of the Holy Spirit. The work that I have begun in you, I will bring to fulfillment through the work of the Holy Spirit now in your life. So this encapsulates this beautiful image of what Paul is inviting us to step into and we will now spend the second half of chapter one and five more chapters unpacking this union that we have with Jesus Christ, this unity that we have as the body of Christ, this wonderful promise that we have been invited to step into the plan of God, somehow holding again intention. God has chosen us. God has foreknown us. God has even predestined us for this adoption. And yet greater things are yet to come when he fulfills all of his promises through the return of Jesus Christ and bringing with him the very kingdom of God and the consummation of all that he has promised for all of creation. This is what he is inviting us into and to step into. And the beautiful thing that he is doing here now and kind of take this image now as you reflect on this and uh, the beautiful way that as we read through the language, Paul <laughs> almost in a way that would drive an English teacher crazy, (laughs) is stepping between past, present, and future. He has predestined you. He is at work in you. Uh, It's a, a deposit guaranteeing what he is yet going to do in you. He is bringing together this past, present, and future work of salvation that God is in the midst of unfolding. And so the invitation for us is to recognize and have a deeper assurance of the salvation that we have in the midst of this glorious work of God. That we are also invited to speak of our salvation and our hope in Jesus Christ in a sense in past tense. Because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, it is finished. He has won victory over sin. He has won victory over death in his resurrection. It is final. It has been fulfilled. He is yet working out our salvation. He has marked us currently now with the Holy Spirit, a seal, a deposit at work in our lives. And yet we have this glorious future promise to us and the fulfillment of his return when he will work all things out for his glory. And so we know that through Jesus Christ, we have the fullness past, present, and future of our salvation. I invite uh, our team to come up uh, and uh, they're going to lead us in some worship. And as they do, this is our time for work, our work and our salvation, reflecting upon uh, what has been revealed to us. And I'm going to tell a story that kind of drives it home. And again, I've, I know I've told this story once or twice before, but uh, <laughs> I asked Robin, I was like, help me find another story. And we talked about it and uh, we were driving yesterday and she's like, yeah, yeah, it's hard to find something better than, <laughs> than that story. Um, but it's just a touching, beautiful little story uh, that um, Mary Ann Bird wrote in a memoir called uh, The Hearing Test. And I haven't read the whole memoir, but I I read that part of the book that she spoke of the moment of the hearing test in her life. She was born with several uh, severe and unfortunate disabilities in her life uh, with a a cleft palate that required several surgeries, um, vision uh, impairment, uh, some facial deformity, and she lost her hearing in, in, in one ear. So growing up and going through school, Kids can be wonderful, but we know that kids can be cruel too. So she never had an easy go of it in her life. In the second grade, she had a teacher, Miss Leonard, that she speaks of in her memoir, as the kind of teacher that all of us want and need and deserve and should have in our life, that Miss Leonard was just a gift from God in her life. Well, the day came in the olden days when the teacher would administer the hearing test. I'm actually old enough that I remember the hearing tests in the classroom myself. And as her turn came up, she approached that seat with uh, great fear and anxiety in her own life, knowing full well that she wouldn't be able to hear in her one ear. But what Miss Leonard did in that moment, she said touched her life and changed her life forever. That very quietly, very softly, making sure that she leaned into the ear that she knew that Mary would hear perfectly clear she whispered into her ear, I wish you were my little girl. Uh, I get, I, I, I literally get kind of a every time I think of that story and I think of God whispering into our ears from before even the foundations of creation. I wish you were my child. I wish you were my son, my daughter. I wish you were part of my family. But God did not wish for it, but He worked for it. And He fulfilled it in sending His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And He is working yet for it and giving us the Holy Spirit to guarantee the work that He is doing in our lives. And He will yet fulfill it when He comes again in glory. So allow this revelation of God for us not to be an area of anxiety or debate, or argument or division even. God forbid that this would create division, but allow this to be the outworking of exactly what he says, of exactly what has been revealed for us, that all of this he has done in love. He has done this in love for us. Let me pray and we're gonna worship.